1: Welcome, everybody, to G- DJ Simulationistas. Sup?
2: Sup, uh, Dan.
1: Sup, Janice. Uh, so I have today three of my favorite people. Janice Palaganis is actually going to be an interviewee today because I'm going to interview her Uh, Roxanne Gardner and James Lipshaw. They are uh, a group at the Center for Medical Simulation who has put together a virtual campus and that's all a big mystery to me and so I wanted to interview them about what in the world they're up to. Maybe some brief introductions. Janice, I think people know you but uh, maybe a, a couple sentences about you.
2: So I am the director of educational innovation and development here at the Center for Medical Simulation, and I have received um, as a co-principal investigator with Roxanne a grant from the Josiah Macy Jr. Foundation. It's a board grant to create what we're calling the virtual campus, which is an interprofessional community of practice. I'm sure we'll go into what that is in a minute. And so that's really where all of my time's going besides uh, teaching for the Institute for Medical Simulation as well.
1: It, it always amazes me, Janice, uh, that such a small person can have such a long title uh, along with lots of abbreviations after her name. It must be a burden.
2: A burden. My favorite one is the CFL1, Yeah, <laughs> the CrossFit level one. Oh, that's
1: <laughs> right. I forgot how muscular <laughs> so you I have are. To say yes.
2: <laughs> I have to say to our listeners that Dan had suggested I put it on my list of certifications after my name just to see if people actually recognized or cared.
0: Can I I bring up a complaint while we're on uh, titles that go after people's names? And maybe I can bring this up with Roxanne, who's on the IMSH planning committee. So when you go to sign up for IMSH, there is every possible abbreviation and title you can put uh, after your name, you know. RN, PhD, and all the thousands of other ones that people have that I don't understand any of them. What there is not, and maybe it's because I'm the only person attending IMSH with a master's in fine arts, there is no option to put MFA after your name, which is my most prestigious title, and I would like it on my ID.
3: I would like to have a master's of fine arts. I will I will speak to my leadership That would be lovely,
0: thank okay. you, I appreciate that.
2: I think we should introduce James Lipshaw now. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I like that I've complained before even introducing myself.
2: James, this is your opportunity.
0: Uh, yeah, so hi, uh, my name's James Lipshaw. Um, if you've listened through the whole series of DJ Simulation Eastas, you may recognize me from uh, the zeroth episode where I interviewed Dan and Janice. Uh, I also produce DJ Simulation Eastas, so I'm always here, I just don't normally talk. Yeah. Uh, So I am the uh, instructional designer here at the Center for Medical Simulation. Um, So I work with all of our uh, media and video production. I produce this podcast, um, and I work in the virtual campus helping to design the activities, um, the various media that we're putting out, um, some of our sort of marketing and outreach programs, and I work with our learners as well. Um, So hello, it's nice to be back. I'm always here, but it's nice to be talking again. (laughs)
1: <laughs> Thank you James but the most important thing about James is that he shares an office with me now which shows what great tolerance he has <laughs> Roxanne how about uh, how about a little introduction from you
3: okay well my name is Roxanne Gardner hello everybody and I have a, a few hats but I've been with Center for medical Simulation since about 2002 and I uh, Delighted to have been uh, part of our labor and delivery simulation uh, crisis resource management program um, with my colleague, Tony Walzer, and uh, assumed a couple of other hats more recently. The uh, director of our simulation fellowship and international scholars program and senior director of our clinical programs. So it's a mouthful. And I don't have an MFA, and I would love to have one.
0: It's very expensive, and I don't recommend it.
1: <laughs> so, so I would point out that uh, Roxanne Gardner has taught me uh, everything that I know about misbehaving uteruses uh, that anyone would ever care to know about. I uh, uh, am horrified by the thought. So um, we've done lots of labor and delivery courses uh, uh, together under her leadership. So, um so let's uh let's get into talking about this uh, virtual campus idea so as you well know uh, I'm a bit of a uh, iconoclast about uh, online services uh, it I've at my advanced age I find it kind of overwhelming and you know I can Barely do Facebook, which is apparently is completely uh, outmoded, according to my children. So, so you guys are trying to do simulation uh, uh, teaching of some sort online. Tell tell me what the what the goals are.
2: Well, it's not just simulation. It's um, for any interprofessional healthcare educator. Um, We do start, our beta testers right now are our graduates who are simulation. And so I could see how that could be confusing.
3: So Dan, you talked about being sort of not enamored of online learning experiences. And uh, I have to say, I was quite uh, skeptical myself until I enrolled in a master's program for health professions education with uh, Mass General Hospital Institute for Health Professions, and it was a almost a complete online learning experience. And I have to say, I was quite changed. I, I was definitely transformed by that experience. So I could have shared your skepticism uh, not too long ago, and now I'm happy to say that I really found that it was a a great experience and uh, and it sort of propelled me into really truly believing in what we're trying to accomplish in the virtual campus. And so the virtual campus has gotten its start financially through a wonderful grant from the Josiah Macy Jr. Foundation and when we made our first proposal uh, to the Josiah Macy Foundation, we had envisioned this online learning in the virtual environment uh, for simulation-based interprofessional health educators and they challenged us coming back saying well we want you not only to build a community of practice within your own alumni who have gone through your various simulation education instructor training programs but we want you to build online learning experiences that would reach all health professions, educators.
2: It it had actually started from the courses that we teach. So we teach these, you know, intense week-long courses, and then they leave us, our students leave us, and we don't know what happens if they have practice partners, if they have um, a way to get feedback. Uh, if they're even maintaining the skills that they learn, and from what we know in education, that's mass learning, M A S S E D. And so, if you think of your students in university settings, that's like a semester long. Um, but to and to be able to gain these skills and knowledge, you need to have some sort of spe- uh, mass learning. But to be able to maintain it and sustain those skills and knowledge and improve upon them, you need to have some sort of spaced learning. And so the thing that's missing in healthcare education is this continuous learning system. And that's really what Roxanne and I were looking to build was for it doesn't matter which um, program you're in, which intense mass program you're in, but can we create a virtual campus where people can go to to continue their learning and build upon that. Here we are as interprofessional healthcare educators, and we're told we have to do IPE, but yet we've never actually experienced IPE. And so it was important for Roxanne and I to create something where people can actually practice the very thing that they are asked to create and that they'll be teaching.
1: So Janice, um, uh, I I suppose this is somewhat naive, but I always had this belief that people should uh, be nice to each other and play in the sandbox together and that everyone should get along. And you keep talking about IPE as this big challenge, interprofessional education as this big challenge. And so maybe you can tell me a little bit more about why you see it as... Um, You know, such a such a high peak to climb.
2: Well, if you look at root cause analysis or any kind of um, study of of any kind of medical error, usually it's I think the statistic now based on the Institute of Medicine is um, like 86% is due to communication errors. And when you look more closely at that, it's communication errors between professions. You know, one can argue, I think that the boundaries that we see in healthcare are the differences in the way we think dressed in our profession, but regardless, we are raised in a profession. You go through schooling and you get to know the culture and the perspectives, and those languages often don't talk with other professions. And um, you'll see identity issues come at play and actually impede on quality patient care. And so I think that's the problem is that um, we don't really, we graduate our students and we expect them to know how to work together in teams, but we don't actually have a formalized way of training them how to work in teams before they actually get to teams.
1: James, I want to turn to you for a minute. I work quite closely with uh, Janice Palaganis, and uh, there are many times when I find her just incorrigible and uh, and cryptic. I, I can't follow her brilliant train of thought sometimes. Uh, I've also worked with Roxanne, and uh, Roxanne has this incredible knowledge in her specialty, and uh, often has an agenda. And I just feel like I am uh, barely keeping up. So, so you're the producer of this uh, virtual campus, and so I'm just curious about how you manage uh,
0: i is the, is the question you're asking how do i keep all of my v- many brilliant and talented and uh <laughs> high highly aspirational bosses happy all the time when attempting to build the thing that they've designed in their in their in their deeply uh, uh visionary and cryptic brains
1: love the way you put that yes. uh, i lie a
0: lot <laughs> 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 uh, no, so it's it's a challenge, Dan. I think that everyone here has a really strong vision for what they want this product to be, um, including myself. It's really a question of trying to figure out and, you know, designate resources. Resources mostly being my time and and you know, minimal skill into making the thing that people are seeing, but also recognizing that, you know, we have to be realistic with how we're devoting resources when we have so many different things that we want to be doing. For myself, you know, my primary interest is often, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a sort of an avid consumer of media, I'm a, but also a fickle consumer of media. And as the the millennial in the room, I have a very short attention span. And so for me, it's all about trying to get the most punch out of you know, someone might be on on our site for 30 seconds or for a minute and I want them to be able to, I want to get a hook in them in that time. Um, And I want there to be something that sort of appeals from this menu of options for everybody. Um, And so for me, it's all about trying to figure out what we have that is working because we're creating all these different interesting pieces of media here. I mean, this podcast being one of them, trying to figure out what's working and trying to figure out how to do basically more of that Um, And we've been doing this wonderful sort of six-month beta test with uh, about 140 viewers, 140 listeners, where we're playing with a lot of different things and getting, you know, and doing individual interviews with the people who have been playing in in those sandboxes and trying to figure out what is working and what is not working, and moving forward with the things that are working, with the things that aren't working, saying, you know, do we you know, looking back, does this have value, does this not have value and trying to be really objective and really honest about what's working and not working. So when we bring it to the public, we've tested and figured out, hey, like, this isn't just us, we've talked to people, we've talked to a, a huge cast of people across all sorts of different allied healthcare fields. And this is what we think people have identified as their need and we're trying to address that need. It's not just coming from us from the top down. So that's what I'm, I'm trying to do and sort of serving all of these different masters here.
1: That, that that's so cool because uh, I I hadn't thought of this before but uh, it's really uh, an interprofessional exercise. Uh, we have Roxanne, the uh, academic obstetrician, uh, Janice, the the can do nurse practitioner, uh, Dan, the geriatric. I uh, can't remember <laughs> what day it is. Uh, person and Biomedical uh, the millennial, Biomedical you're, you're really. Yeah. Yeah, you're really uh, uh, trying to uh, practice, get us to practice uh, working interprofessionally, uh, and of course that's a challenge. Yeah,
0: and uh, you know I'm I'm perfect for that role because I'm used to dealing with eleven year olds all day. I'm a, I'm a former <laughs> middle school teacher, saying, so 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 hurting <laughs> you guys is, is is really right in my
1: wheelhouse. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I, I, yeah. Uh
2: huh. Uh huh. Yeah. And I would agree. I think that is James does so well. Um, what we try to achieve at the center for medical simulation, which is practicing what we preach and just putting this entire thing together, you know, focusing on the common goal and really trying to work together to get there. It's, I mean, it's so key in interprofessional education and it has been an IPE experience. Right. By the way, can, um, in my defense, can I say that I am an open book? I, I just don't have a table of contents, and that's why you think I'm cryptic, <laughs> and James, that's, that's an James excellent or is my, my table of contents. Like, he puts the table of contents together. I'm as transparent as transparent can be, Dan Raymond.
1: Right. So, so I should always check with James to figure out what you're talking about.
0: That's not a terrible idea, and there's, I think, a couple people in this office who already sort of run that system.
1: So it sounds to me like you've been doing lots of experimenting, and uh, uh, maybe, maybe Roxanne, you could uh, you could take this question. So we do a lot of discussing of how to improve from things that didn't go well, some root cause analysis sort of stuff. We've, we've uh, uh, talked a lot about those things in our clinical courses. Things must have gone wrong in your development of this virtual campus, things that you now uh, wish you had done differently. Uh, Tell me about some of the, some of the bloopers.
3: Well, so in retrospect, why did we agree to produce 16 different modules (laughs) because in some ways um, we probably complicated ourselves and not adhered to the KISS principle of keep it simple, stupid. So we have 16 modules, and again, going back to what James said about allocation of resources, I think we've, we've realized that some of the modules we've created are, are, can really be quite labor-intensive and resource-driven. Being an organization that that operates um, with a very finite number of people, who are spread thin already over a multiple different number of projects, um, it, it can be a challenge to find dedicated faculty time to get the work done, to build these this curriculum. So we've had to, I think Janice and I've had to really look seriously at, at you know where we're allocating our resources and focus them on the things that really encapsulate what CMS is all about, which is building opportunities for improving your practice and and delivering feedback or uh, doing uh, a great debriefing and, and that sort of thing.
2: Roxanne is right onto something, I, th- I think, for those people that are looking to create any kind of online platform education, to really know the difference between Entrepreneur and intrapreneurship, which is very different. And um you know, if you if
1: well, wait a minute, wait a minute, you just you just melted some large portion of my cerebrum there. With
3: it. <laughs> yeah, can, can, can we unpack? It, what so an entrepreneur is when you're starting
2: something new. An intrapreneur is when you are starting a new program within an already existing program, an already existing institution and
1: did you just no, make that up or is no, that it really, really it's really a word. And I think really
2: what exists. Roxanne is speaking to are all the challenges that we have encountered thinking that we were doing some entrepreneurship, but we were actually doing intrapreneurship and there are lots of limitations and cultural consistencies here, you know, at, at CMS that you have to, you have to take into account. Like faculty don't have all the time in the world. You're not, you have to really work into the limitations of what's going on within the organization um, and struggle with that and really plan all of that out. If you're looking to create a new program, unless you're starting from scratch and you're creating your own company and that sort of thing, that's very different. And, um And so I think to know the difference between both is important.
1: One of the things that's always uh, uh, driven me crazy when I watch people do simulation is the tendency for people to teach exactly the same as they would at the bedside. So there's an analogy here that I want to explore with you. It sounds like what you're really trying to do is create modules where uh, people are active as opposed to, uh, be passive. And so much traditional teaching is passive and there's gotta be a strong tendency among faculty to just want to talk and tell people, uh, what they know. I'm guessing you must have to work really hard to avoid that tendency in your module. So, so how do you, how do you attack that problem?
0: So the thing that I'm thinking about as you say that, Dan, is, uh, you know, coming from my background in sort of arts and education, there's a very famous book and quote and sort of way of thinking about, about media, which, is, uh, which comes from uh, Marshall McLuhan, which is just that the medium is the message. The platform and the method and the material and the, the medium, literally, that you're using to transmit all of these different kinds of information are what is being transmitted. It's not just that, you know simulation or video or podcast or whatever is a is a pure and clean and unsort of I'm gonna use the word tainting it it's not like it doesn't that information doesn't come through untainted whatever you are using to transmit what it is that you want to transmit whatever information that you want to get across is completely altered and affected by the way that you transmit it and the medium that you use to transmit it and so I think that we actually do a pretty good job of thinking about you know simulation versus debriefing as a conversation versus video lecture versus interactive online lecture versus in-person lecture versus in-person conversation all of those things are different media and the way that i think that we do teaching within them is is all different at least here at cms and so all that i think that you really have to do to make that work is just sort of be considerate about it and like consider what is the the way that people are receiving this how is their attention going to be drawn what are their senses are go- what if their senses are going to be implicated in the experience and and take that and just like consider it and think about how the whole body is sort of going to be implicated in receiving that information and then craft what you're doing to use that effectively you know for a podcast for example right now probably a lot of people are in their car listening to this you know no sirens you know is is a good example of like just don't use the wrong thing for the wrong medium or you know people might be going around their house doing this they're listening to a casual conversation so like try to keep things choppy keep them keep them engaged like don't sort of go into a lecture or go into a drone, which I'm almost approaching right now. Uh, just like use, use the medium effectively for whatever kind of information you're trying to get across. So,
2: so my answer uh-huh. would be to hire an instructional designer. Just, just not James Lipshaw. You're Amen. not allowed to steal him.
0: Well, uh, I'm, I'm open to offers for, for you know, above my, my current salary. I'm not saying that I'm not. Oh, James. I'm, I'm You know, yeah. I'm, I'm yeah, a mercenary. But... What can I say?
1: But other organizations couldn't you, offer you uh, such an esteemed office mate. Uh,
0: that's, that's true, Dan. That's certainly true. And they probably couldn't offer me a, a, a roommate who who snowbirds for half of the year and gives me my own lushy uh, office to myself that no one can take because it's still Dan's. Well,
1: that's true. Yeah.
0: It's, it's a pretty sweet gig, I have to well, say. Can I just expand
2: yeah. on on why I think it's so important to hire an instructional designer? I think that the number one challenge with creating this virtual campus has been the ever-changing online trends. And it's, it's like, you have to think ahead. You can't just go off of what exists. And I think the most frustrating thing is the research that comes out of the online world. For example, right now, we're trying to figure out business models, You know how much people would pay for and what modules we should create in the future that people would pay for. And the research shows that people don't know what they would pay for. I mean, so it's like just taking stabs and taking risks constantly to figure out what people actually like. And so I think the beta testers are so key to all of that.
0: Yeah, and to add to that, um, we had a really great piece of feedback from one of our very, very initial testers, who was actually someone who had not engaged super well with the program. And what he said was, you know, when I get on to go to this site, I'm not just competing with other online space learning programs for, for my attention. I'm not just competing with, oh, you know, there's this lecture that I could listen to or there's this. You're competing with, oh, I want to listen to this, but actually I got distracted by checking football scores on ESPN. You know, oh, I wanted to listen to this, but I got distracted by looking at a stupid tweet on Twitter, right? Like we're competing not just with other things sort of in the same field we're competing with every sort of distraction of every kind of media that you could sort of have access to online and so it's really important to not just think about what are we doing from a pedagogical perspective but also from a how do you get people to want to access the thing you know that you're making in the sea of other sort of lights and shiny objects and magpie things that they could grab at you know and that i think comes down to finding what you think really works as someone who is someone who exists on the internet and trying to replicate that, trying to replicate whatever places you go to as sort of a, this is where I want to spend my time and attention when I'm on the internet um, and making our site be like that.
1: It's It seems like there's a really difficult balance between uh, edutainment, the, the entertainment piece of that uh, uh that phrase and the uh educational uh uh piece of that phrase yeah you know my bias is that like our listeners
0: are obviously, you know, people in medicine. They have really important jobs, people who are critical care nurses, people who are emergency room physicians. Like, my bias is that when they come home, they have a really serious job, and they probably don't want to listen to a really serious product. You probably want to relax a little bit, but at the same time, you want to be better informed. You want to be better at your job. And so for me, keeping it light and keeping it easy to digest and keeping it not so this is the most important thing, and if you don't listen to the your patient, you know, mortality rate is going to rise. Like, I think it has to be light because these people who we're trying to aim at have really serious jobs and they're really serious and accomplished people. And if you try to be serious on top of that, I think it's just, it's too much. And I
2: think going back to Roxanne, what Roxanne said earlier that, you know, and I think that's why it was hard for us to kiss this you know, strategy, because we wanted to create different modules, because sometimes people want things just in time for something they're teaching, which is more practical, and sometimes they want to relax after the a, a long day, as James is saying. Rox, what do you think of that?
3: When Janice and I were envisioning the various modules, there was never a time when we would, we were thinking to create some type of lecture format, and You know the beauty of the experience that we're putting together here is that we're not trying to appeal to the the clinical knowledge base of the various professionals because for those educational experiences they can go to their own professional societies or or other various medical education platforms Um, we're really interested in in providing experiences that that help people to improve their practice and being able to give feedback and debriefings and to give lighthearted, informative um, discussion series. So I just want to
1: ask you guys about your, uh, your grant. So grants are really difficult uh, to uh, to accomplish. Receiving a grant, uh, people don't like to give away uh, money for nothing. Uh, the Josiah Macy Foundation, um, you know, is a is a limited uh, but very helpful funding source for medical educators. I'm just wondering what you said to them that uh, was so appealing.
2: So I think when writing any grant, really understanding the state of the science and what people are recommending needs to be done, um, and then also the interest of the grantors. So for them, it was a continuous learning environment, interprofessional education beyond just simulation, um, and creating a community of practice. I think those were the big things that are important to them. And we knew that and talking with them and figuring out, you know, ways to bridge what we do with what their mission is, as well as bridging what exists in the world and trying to bridge all those efforts together. I think when you can show the connection with a potential impact that is greater than the sum of its individual parts, I think that's where the magic
1: comes in. We're running out of time here. Let's wrap this up. So I'm just interested from each of you, what you think is uh, the most important next steps in your development?
3: Well, I'll go first. Uh, So from my perspective, I think the, the, the next important step, the most immediate step is identifying our beta testers, as it were, for from the non-simulation health professions educators. So Janice and I have devised a plan around that, and now it's time to actually extend those invitations and, and get them engaged. And then from that point on, continuing the assessment process and really honing down, understanding and honing down what it is that is appealing in what we offer and what more could we provide based on their feedback?
0: I think that there's a huge section of people for whom some of the stuff that we're doing now and some of the stuff that we're going to be continuing to develop is, is going to be very, very appealing. And one of the things that I learned when I was sort of working in a, in a marketing setting is just that, you know, marketing a product isn't... sort of lying or like trying to convince people that they're going to like it. Marketing is actually just taking your product and finding finding the right people who are already going to like it the way that it is. And I think that we have something here. We have a kernel of something that clearly has some appeal, um, whether that's just in sort of the, you know, breaking down of complex simulation and interprofessional ideas into these really useful nuggets and algorithms and heuristics that people can use, whether it's just the appeal of sort of the faculty we have and the teaching that we're doing. Um, and I, so I think it's just a question of finding the right people who are going to want to listen, who are going to want to watch, who are going to want to engage, and putting it in front of them, and we'll get a response just from that.
1: So my take on message here is that uh, I better uh, I better get online and see what you guys are up to, because uh, it sounds more interesting than the endless political articles that I tend to read. Um, so I'm I'm looking forward to that. So uh, so I just want to thank you all for uh, uh, speaking with me today, and I look forward to more uh, Simulationistas up with uh, with Janice.
2: Thanks, Dan. It was great being on this end.
1: <laughs> yeah, thank thanks, thanks so much, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> thank you guys. Thanks for thank letting me guys. talk today. Happy <laughs> to have you talk.
0: DJ Simulationistas, sup? Is brought to you by the Center for Medical Simulation. Find out more about CMS and learn about our simulation instructor training and course offerings at www.harvardmedicine.org. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.